0: And I would invite you this morning to turn to Hosea 14. This sermon was originally designed to follow immediately after our reflection on sanctification, but we ended up missing uh, Sunday because of God's providential arrangement of the weather. Uh, So we're picking up here this morning with Hosea 14. And as you turn to Hosea 14, we're going to answer the question, what are faith and repentance? So I think a common issue in church life is Uh, that we know when to use words like faith and repentance, but we're not always sure exactly what they mean or what they look like, which is why we're in Hosea this morning. Uh, Jews in Jesus' day would sometimes call Hosea the book of repentance because they recognize that it spells out uh, so many aspects of repentance and then also of faith, especially aspects of repentance like why does it matter? How do you do it? And I think most especially important to us, how do I know it will work? Hosea 14 are going to answer those questions this morning. So why does repentance matter? We're going to answer that from our first point this morning, which is repentance is God's way out of sin's corrupting power. How do you do it? We'll look at that under our second point, which is repentance is words and deeds of righteousness. And then finally, how do I know it'll work? We'll look at that under our third point, which focuses on faith, which is faith trusts God to honor our repentance with life. And I really should have said with the life of Jesus. And then we'll wrap it all up at the end with a reflection on how faith and repentance are like the veins that the lifeblood of Jesus flows through into our lives. So let's read Hosea 14, which is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And then we'll start our reflection this morning. Hosea 14, the very last chapter of Hosea. Let's hear God's word. God says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan, finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoot shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon." They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God truly does stand forever. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for this word which you have inspired and preserved for us, which is, uh, we know also, living and active. And Lord, we pray that this living and active word would be used by your Holy Spirit uh, to conform us more to the image of Jesus so that we would learn how to repent and believe more faithfully and so look more like our Savior. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of our hearts as those called uh, to hear and respond to your word, may it all be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first question we're asking is, why is repentance important? And verse 1 tells us the answer when it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, because you have stumbled, or for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. So, it's important to know that the word repentance means to return or to go back. Uh, So, when we hear that, and when we think about ancient Israel's life with God, we can have an image in our minds that can make us think that this invitation maybe isn't really for us so much. Because we tend to think of Old Testament Israel as frequently completely abandoning God. No one prays to him. No one serves him. And that's just not true. My friends, Jesus is talking to a people that can end up looking a lot like us here at Grace. It's a people who love God, who go to church, or in their case, the temple on the Lord's Day, but who, for a variety of reasons, related to distrust in God's goodness and the lust of the flesh, often run to idolatry. And who, because of that, fear and distrust, refuse to repent because they're afraid of what God is going to do. So the book of Hosea starts very famously with God calling Hosea to enter into a marriage that's going to be deeply damaged, by distrust and by lust, because through Hosea's marriage, God wants to tell a story of his relationship with us and how repentance and forgiveness are integral parts to keeping that relationship good and growing and whole. Now, in this marriage, if you were to, we were to go and read through Hosea, we'd find that Hosea's wife commits adultery. But if you read Hosea carefully, I think you'll find that the biggest problem is not that Hosea's wife committed adultery. Obviously, that's a big problem, right? But the biggest problem, I think, as I read Hosea, is her refusal, at least at first, to confess her sin and to consistently repent of it. And God says in Hosea, that's our problem. As Christians, we are in a relationship with Jesus, but we also, like Hosea's wife, sin against Jesus and against one another because of our sinful desires. And then the question becomes, what then happens? Or when that happens? Do we confess and commit to repentance? Or do we hide our sin? Do we ignore it? Do we justify it? Chapter 14 is an invitation from Jesus to become better repenters and God is especially concerned for this because our sins have communal Consequences that is they affect those we live with And this is a very important theme in Hosea And you can see this especially when God says in chapter 14 verse 1 return O Israel to the Lord for your God for you have stumbled because of your iniquity so when God talks about iniquity in the Bible It usually means how our sins have a corrupting or a polluting effect on those who are around us. In Hosea, after Hosea marries his wife, Gomer, they have two children. And God gives them these really sad names in Hosea. No mercy and not my people. All of you who don't like your names, be glad those aren't your names. (laughs) Now, I used to think the reason for those names was simply God making a point about justice's response to our continued unfaithfulness, uh, but, and that's part of it. But now I think that this is also uh, God's way of saying something more than that. I think God is also making a point about how our sins affect others. So in the story, the children have a father, Hosea, who doesn't really want to show mercy To his wife no mercy and they have a mother who doesn't really want to commit herself to her children or to her husband not my people so hearing that then think about this isn't it true that when we are not shown mercy when we are sinned against we tend to respond in the same way well I won't show you mercy then either right when people betray us, don't we respond by betraying uh, not just them, but by other people, right? Well, I was treated this way, so I can treat you this way. And given these kids these names, is God actually revealing something of how the sins of the father and the mother are being visited on their children in this particular relationship, the way that God talks about in the Ten Commandments? Is this how they are corrupted? by the power of their parents' sins. I think that's worth reflecting on. Just like it's worth reflecting on the fact that these kids' names change later on in Hosea, and God changes their names in the context of him showing mercy to Israel, his bride, and then commanding Hosea to go and show the same kind of mercy to his bride, his wife, Gomer, and also of, I think, God empowering repentance in Gomer's own life. It's those actions that God does and has done in Hosea later on that then give these children their new identities, and I think from their names, new patterns of behavior. So when God makes Hosea repent of his hard heart, and when God starts restoring Uh, His wife and their mother to the family, the children get the names Mercy and My People. That's when they're renamed. I think these events show us two things about dealing with sin's consequences in our lives. And the first is that forgiveness is essential if there's going to be a turnaround. Uh, We've talked about that in so many sermons. We're going to talk about it more in the future, Lord willing. But the second thing this shows us and it's particularly important for us this morning is that repentance is also necessary. It's only as Hosea and Gomer repent that their lives are changed. And it's as they repent that they see, I think, the effects of this, their sin on their children start to unwind by the grace of God. Repentance, you see, changes our lives. And it helps change the lives of those around us. So how then do we repent? How do we fight against the iniquity that our lives uh, bring to other people? Well, that's the second point, which is we repent with words and deeds of righteousness. And that's verses 2 through 3. So I'm going to read these again here. It says, Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. So there's so much I want to say here, but I'm going to limit myself to a mini-sermon of an observation, a comparison, and an illustration. See? Mini-sermon. But don't worry, it's not going to be too long. Uh, So the observation is that God's command to take words can be misleading because it can look like the most important thing to Jesus are words and not actions. Now, when I'm teaching kids about repentance, some people in this room know this specifically, uh, I like to make a paper ball and I like to throw that at them, don't I? Uh, And then I'll say, hey, I'm sorry, can I have that back? And then they give it back and I immediately throw it at them again. And then I, hey, I'm sorry, can I have that back? And uh, I do that until they start uh, either laughing or throwing it back at me. And then I ask them, do you believe that I was ever sorry? No. Why not? Well, because you kept doing it, <laughs> right? Words of apology, words of confession, words of repentance that don't have some kind of corresponding action are not repentance imagine if gomer had simply told hosea and her kids sorry and then immediately left again as a matter of fact i think in the book of hosea that happens once which is why i think hosea doesn't want to show her mercy later on in the book or imagine if hosea had invited gomer back home but kept the door locked Words, no actions, right? In the Bible, repentance means both confessing your sins, which is, here is what I did, here is how it hurt you, and I am sorry, as our confession says, confessing specific sins specifically. And then it means doing actions that seek to repair the damage we've done by God's grace. And I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. But first, I want to ask, why then does God say, take with you words here, if that's the case? Well, it's because in this case, words are actions. So, Israel's distrust of God was revealed in her idolatrous alliance with other nations, particularly, as you see here, Assyria. Now, foreign alliances of any kind were always sealed with the worship of the stronger nations gods by the weaker nation sacrifices would be made to false gods in temples that were built to those false gods in the weaker nation to show allegiance to those idols that's just what it meant to have a foreign alliance in israel's day it's like saying here's our embassy it's the temple of dagon and you're going to offer sacrifices to him so to have an alliance with assyria those are the things that israel's rulers would publicly have to do and they would be renewed publicly at least yearly or whenever it was that Assyria would come to collect the money, the food, or the soldiers that were required of the smaller nation in these treaties. So when God tells Israel to say, Assyria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands, he's telling them to publicly renounce their relationship to Assyria. Assyria will not save us. Renounce your promise to fight with them or for them in their wars. We will not ride on horses. That's what that means. No more tanks for you. And make that break permanent by renouncing their false gods. Close their embassies. We will say no more our God to the work of our hands. You see, in this case, words are actions. And they are actions that appropriately represent repentance for the sins that God is calling out. Which leads me to the comparison I want to make. This call to repent in chapter 14 is meant to be compared to how Israel was repenting in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So I'm just going to read for you chapter 6, 1 through 4, and, uh, and then I'm going to make a couple comparisons. I want you to listen carefully to the difference between what Israel was saying and what God wants them to say in chapter 14. So this is Hosea chapter 6. This is what Israel says. They said, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us so that He can heal us. He struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And then God says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Ephraim is another word for Israel. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. So, did you hear that in chapter 6, Israel doesn't mention her sin? At all? What are they repenting of? What are they returning from? It doesn't say. In fact, you may have noticed, Israel doesn't admit to doing anything. They just say, hey, we feel distant from God. We should go to God and He'll forgive us. Like, if you notice, they don't admit to anything, they don't commit to anything. In fact, the only one being asked to do anything, not even asked, just expected to do anything is god he'll, he'll make it better let's return so god can make it all better there's no confession there's no admitting there's no committing so in contrast with that hosea 14 here can't we say that israel's prayer in chapter 6 is for forgiveness without repentance or you could say she wants all the blessings of a healthy relationship with god while keeping all the behaviors that have been harming that relationship. This is the equivalent of my sorry in the paper ball example. I realize that what I'm doing is harming you. Sorry. Good thing you're so forgiving. (laughs) It's all going to be fine, right? God rejects this. He rejects this kind of repentance. He says, what shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. God says your love is like the morning dew. So for sinners, which is all of us, right? Repentance is a part of love. Confessing sins and turning from actions that harm towards actions that heal, or at least attempt to heal, is part of what love is for fallen people, right? And let me just add this. I think you can hear Jesus clearly saying in Hosea 6 and 14 that unless we learn to repent specifically and perform specific actions that actually aim at repairing the damage we've done, this is the place where you're going to end up. Your love goes away early. You said you're sorry, and then it's gone. And and the pattern continues. Which leads me to my illustration Uh, which I've come up with to teach kids about repentance. And I'm saying this because I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this in the profession of faith classes, as many kids are going to be there. But parents, do this at home. And I should say this, I haven't done this with my kids yet, but I'm going to. Um, So it kind of goes with the paper ball. I usually like to take a piece of paper and tape it between the backs of two chairs. And I'll tell them this chair is you and this chair is me. And this paper, that's our trust in each other. This is the bridge that's holding us together. And then I'll have them karate chop it in half or cut it with scissors or tear it. And I'll say, and that's sin, Direct our trust. And then I'll say, tell me you're sorry, because they're the ones who sinned against me, right? Um, and they do, and I take a piece of tape and I tape one edge back together. And I ask, is the bridge fixed? Well, no, right, because it's still flopping, right? It's just that one edge, the other part's flopping around. And I say, what needs to happen is the bridge has to be rebuilt. So I take a bunch of tape, we tape it back together, and I say each piece of tape is an action of repentance and an action of forgiveness. And though we're focusing on repentance this morning, you need both. So if the sin, and I'll go on to say, so if the sin that broke our relationship was lying, apologizing for it is a first step, right? You get a tape on the edge. But telling the truth is the second step, and it's the third step, and the fourth step, and me forgiving you is the fifth step, and the sixth step, and the seventh step, right? It all goes together. Repentance requires words and actions of righteousness. It's confession and deeds. And that's how God designed the brokenness sin causes to be repaired. It's why he's calling for this exact kind of repentance in chapter 14. Take with you words. Say to him, undo what you've done in this alliance with Assyria. But that then brings us to our final question, which is, but how do we know that will work, right? When the bridge has been torn, how do you know it can be put back together? Because even as Christians, we can doubt that repentance is actually going to change anything, right? Can we be honest? Of course we do. That's why we need our final answer which is faith, trust God to bless our repentance with life. So at the end of the words God tells them to bring in verse 3, he tells Israel to say, in you the orphan finds mercy. And the point here is God wants his people to admit their fear, right? By rejecting our alliance with Assyria, we will be alone and isolated as a nation. We will be orphans. But then God wants them to meet that fear with faith in Jesus. We will be without earthly help, but we won't be without you. Jesus will be with us in mercy and love. Jesus will honor our repentance with his presence and with his life. And then he goes on to explain exactly how he'll honor that In verses 4 through 7 so he says in this I think one of the most beautiful passages of the Bible God says I will heal their apostasy which that's like the opposite of repentance kids so if repentance is turning back to God apostasy is turning away from God I will heal their apostasy I will love them freely for my anger has turned from them I will be like the dew to Israel he shall blossom like the lily he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon his shoots shall spread out His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. These are the promises that God makes to us when we repent. Let me just focus on a few of these. So the first one I want to focus on is God promises to love us freely which means openly, and this is so important uh, for us. Sometimes there is a separation between being forgiven and being openly and warmly received. Right. This is a reason why. One of the reasons why we can be afraid to confess our sins. Right. We're afraid of what the truth will do to our relationship. Will it completely destroy us? Will I actually be welcomed freely? ever again. Maybe this was Israel's problem in Hosea 6. She wanted the relationship, but she was afraid if she confessed that the relationship would not be there, that God's healing wouldn't be there. What God says here is that when he forgives us, he warmly and openly and freely receives us at the same time. Our relationship will not be broken anymore. It will begin to heal. Because God forgives and welcomes at the same time. But that's our relationship with God. What about our relationship with other people? Well, God has a related promise that addresses that in verse 7. There he promises that we will dwell beneath his shadow. So if you think about the context, when you're breaking a military alliance and turning an ally into a potential enemy, enemy and inviting war, there's going to be consequences, There's going to be difficulty and hardship. Jesus says, I will be your protector in that difficulty. When you need to go to somebody and confess that you have broken trust, lied, stolen, cheated, stealed, stolen, stealed and stolen, (laughs) committed adultery, murder, uh, betrayed trust in some way. The fear is, I'm going to say this, and now this person who I care about, who I have harmed, will become my enemy who will want to harm me in return. And I want to protect myself from those consequences. Who is going to help me? Jesus says, if you do the hard thing necessary to repent, I will be with you. I will be the shelter that protects you. This is a powerful promise that Jesus will be with us in the fallout that can come from repentance it means that even though repentance might have scary consequences we can endure them because we know that Jesus will be with us as our shelter and as our shield and as our helper but not only as our shelter er as our empowerer so Jesus promises us that when we commit to repentance for whatever sin he will be with us like The dew. Did you hear that? I will be like the dew to Israel. If you think about life in a desert, there are not regular rains, but there is regular dew. And that dew is the water that gives the plants the life they need to live and to grow and to develop. And this is Jesus' promise that when you use your strength and energy to repent, he will be like the water that daily refreshes you and replenishes you to carry out your repentance and then jesus promises to use the repentance he empowers to produce actual change israel will blossom like the lily and his beauty shall be like the olive so the olive tree and the lily are often used as metaphors for a life that is a uh, full and pleasant and desirable and healthy and god's point is that where sin created ugly and diseased relationships, repentance, through God's power and grace, will produce relationships that are healthy and pleasant and desirable. The same way that he changed Hosea and Gomer's relationship with each other and with their children from something dead and without mercy to something alive and full of mercy. And here's how God does that. He says that he will use our repentance as a way to bring his life to other people. He says that in repentance, we will flourish like the grain. The point of flourishing grain is that there is more than enough food to sustain everybody's life. God's point here is that through repentance, God provides enough spiritual food to sustain our relationships. And I don't think I'm overstating it when I put it this way. Repentance is a way that God gives the bread of Christ to others through us. Flourish like the grain. And also gives the joy of reconciliation with Christ, which is what I believe being famous like the wine of Lebanon means. So in the Bible... Again, wine is usually used as a symbol of joyful, reconciled life with God. And Lebanon's wines were like our Napa Valley. Uh, You'd seek them out because they're just so good. You like drinking them. The point here is that the blessings of life that God brings to the repentant are so good that they become something others seek out from us. And this is what faith rests in. Faith says, I trust that Jesus will do these things for me when I repent. To return to the do analogy for a second, if Jesus is the water of life, then faith is the mouth that opens to drink it. Faith says, I trust that Jesus will welcome me freely when I confess my sin. I trust that Jesus will shelter me as I confess sins to other people and endure the inevitable consequences of that confession. I trust that Jesus will empower me to actually put foot to faith and fulfill my repentance. I trust that as I do that, Jesus will bring his own grace through my life to those around me so that they can live and we can be restored and have a beautiful life together. And that as I do this and we do this as a church, the communal life that that will create will be so powerful and wonderful that people will actually be drawn to that community because they'll say, I want that same kind of life too. Or as God says elsewhere in the Old Testament, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Or to change the analogy a little bit, to move on to our very last and super short point, Repentance and faith are the veins of Christ's life. So this is verse nine. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Now I realize Jesus is using a different analogy here of walking in Hosea 14 than I'm going to use with you know blood and veins, but they're all biblically related because they're all about life with God. And I'm ending here with an analogy about veins because of all the life-giving images in verses 4 and 5 that we talked about. But also because as we come to the table, I want us to think about Jesus' words in the supper of eating his body and drinking his blood. The point here at the end is that repentance and faith are things we need if we're going to walk daily with Jesus. They aren't things that simply start the Christian life and then we put aside They aren't things that we uh, can pick up and put down at will and have a good relationship. There's things we need to have daily if we're going to live a vibrant and healthy life with Jesus. And so in that sense, then, I thought of veins. Because you need blood to live, right? You need it to live. So are veins blood? No. At least I don't think so. Uh, But they do carry blood— wherever it needs to go. Faith and repentance are not Jesus, but I hope you can see here in Hosea 14 that they are what God uses to carry Jesus into our lives to the people and places He needs to go. So my encouragement to us this morning is that we recognize that faith and repentance are two important ways God gives us Jesus and gives others Jesus through us. And that we need, therefore, commit ourselves to taking these up daily as we walk with him. And that uh, we can do so because God has promised to be faithful to us, to bring the fullness of the life of Christ to us and others as we do this in his name and by his grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gifts of faith and repentance. Uh, please help us to trust that you will respond to our acts of repentance by giving us the life of Christ, and uh, through Jesus's life. Please help us to repent more faithfully and consistently, consistently, uh, so that more and more of our, more and more of our life would bear the fruit of Jesus, and so bring His life to our neighbors who could taste and see His goodness through us and come. Uh, grow in faith in Him, and uh, profess faith in Him. And Lord, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.